0: Good morning. man. there's something about a fresh day, isn't there? There's something about a fresh morning. Man, I love, I love a fresh morning. My name is Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. And we're so excited to have you here with us today, especially if you're here for the very first time, if you've never been to New Life before. Well, New Life was created for you. We've been praying for you. We've been preparing for you. We're just hoping that you're having a great first experience here with us. We hope the church has just been awesome so far. And I love being here. I love love being here because I love being with my family, and uh, and you know my biological family is here as as well. They're right there. Um, You know, not not my kids. My mom and my dad and my sister-in-law are here. So my my immediate family is here. But in many ways, you all have become my family. I started working here at New Life in 2010, right after Snowmageddon. If you remember Snowmageddon in 2010, I couldn't get out to my first interview here at New Life because of Snowmageddon. And, uh, and I started shortly thereafter. And in the last decade, um, I have, uh, I've really grown to like y'all. Um, I've really grown to feel like you are my family, and so that's good. It's good to be here with family, especially considering the subject for this morning. We're talking about generosity right now. We're in a series called Experiencing Generosity. It's four weeks long. We're on week two, but we're in a year-long emphasis called Experiencing God Unreserved, and we've been looking at how we can experience God with different aspects of our life. Last week, we kicked off, well, first off, the whole series is about generosity. When we're talking about four pieces of it, we're looking and we're breaking down our life into four sections and saying, like, this is how God wants us to be generous with this section of your life. And spoiler alert, when you add all four together, it's pretty much your entire life. But it's easier to swallow if we say there's four pieces and not your entire life all in one message. And so we break it down into four sections. We call those sections the four T's, time, talent, treasure, touch. Last week, Pastor Alex brought a great message on time and how we can be generous with our time. He spoke about, wow, when we're dealing with our time, um, we need to spend as much time with God as we can, with wise people as we can, and with those in need as we can. This week, we're going to be focusing in on our talent. And actually, what I'm going to be doing is addressing a lot more than just our talent. I'm going to be talking about pretty much every aspect of our life, generosity in general and stewardship in general. But certainly, our gifts and our talents and our abilities are going to be wrapped up in today's message. But before we jump in, I want to take a look at the, uh, the take home point today. And that take home point is the one point I'm seeking to make. It gives us a little bit of direction so you know where it is that we're headed. And it's this whatever talents God has given you was given to advance His kingdom. Whatever talents God has given you was given to advance His kingdom. Before we jump in today's passage, I want to talk a little bit about generosity in general because I was curious. I mean, I know that there are some benefits to generosity. I know what it feels like to give to somebody in need or to give to the church or a good organization. I know like the warm, fuzzy feeling you get, right? We all know it's more blessed to give than receive, and we usually experience that once a year around Christmas time, or maybe we give like a really good birthday present, right? And we know what that feels like, that good feeling of giving to somebody. We understand that. I know the Bible tells us to God by giving us resources, giving our money, and see if he doesn't give us even more blessing in return. So I understood those two things. I wanted to know a little bit more. So I found a medical journal. Now, I am going to decipher this thing for you. Keep in mind, I Googled like 65% of the words in it. I should have just called Tim McNulty, who's here today, and he could have told me what it all was. But I I found a research, I found a a medical journal, and there was a research that was done on the benefits of generosity to the physiology of our brains. And so what actually happens between our two ears when we choose to live open-handed, when we choose to be generous with the things that we have? And, you know, first off, something that's really interesting is your brain is an incredibly unique and cool piece of meat. I mean, it really is. That's what it is, too. It's a hunk of meat. It's a hunk of meat that courses with electricity in such a way that it informs every cell of your body how to behave. And as your brain informs your body how to behave, we breathe, our heart beats, and we digest food without even thinking about it. Your brain is processing countless background biological programs while we eat, while we sleep. While we get dressed in the morning, while we drive our car, while we solve complex math equations, while we ski, God is amazing. And your brain is incredible. And there's these two little sections of our brain that do a lot of work. They're called the amygdala. And yes, they are connected to the mandula oblongata, which is from Waterboy, (laughs) which you shouldn't watch because it's a bad movie, but it's so funny. That Colonel Sanders scene, are you kidding me? Hilarious. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. All that teeth and no toothbrush. Um. okay. No, that looks like a 90s joke, right? Like anybody like 25 and you're, they live with no clue what I'm talking about. Um, but but anyway, so we have these two sections in our brain. There's one on the right, one right on the left, called the amygdala. They do a lot of work, they process and store emotional memories, okay? The right side of the amygdala generally lights up and activates when we experience things like stress, aggression, sadness, fear. And the left side will actually light up for the same reasons, but it also lights up whenever we're processing and storing emotions and memories around things like happiness and joy and good things. So just give me an example. And keep in mind, like I'm not a brain surgeon, but from reading the medical journal and Googling half of it, this is what I understood, right? So whenever I was about 16 or 17 years old, my parents foolishly allowed me and my brother and two of our friends to go rock climbing without their supervision, which you should not do. You should not do. And so we went up, and of course, you know, like egos become a big thing when you have like four boys together, and we're egging each other on. And so I ended up making the decision to climb the most difficult side of the tallest rock. And what ended up is that I got towards the top but couldn't get over the top, and I fell from about 35 foot up, which is quite the fall. A guy fell from the same place that I fell from a week later, broke his back, and was life-flighted out of where he was. Luckily, When I fell, here's my brother. I landed right on him, boom, right on him. He broke my fall, I didn't even break my legs, right? It was amazing, I I walked away from it, incredible. But ever since that day, I've had a bit of a problem with heights. Like I used to be able to climb trees, no problem, I had no problem with heights at all, but now I kinda get like a little clenched up, if you know what I mean, whenever I get near a height, like I get a little, ooh, like a little, I just don't like heights. Listen, that's my amygdala reacting, right? If you remove my amygdala, I may be able to remember what it was to fall from that height, but fear would no longer be associated with that memory. I keep glancing over here because Christy knows about brain anatomy, and the more she nods, the more I know I'm correct, which is... which is important. She's like nodding. Yes, that's what that part of your brain does, which is fantastic. Okay, so Kristen Kay Indiaki and Lauren P. Ross did a study on what happens when the brain in the brain when we live generously, and what they found was, was awesome. So they had groups of people give targeted support, which basically means that they would find someone in need and they would financially give to them because their finances were in trouble, okay? And then they would look and see what happened in the brain. And what they found is really incredible. So when people would live generously and give targeted support, the left side of the amygdala would light up. And the two doctors, what they said is this performed what they called a warm glow feeling. So some sort of like happiness triggered. But what's even more interesting is what happened to the right side of the amygdala. And that is that it began showing noticeably less activity. The side of the amygdala that would trigger for stress, anxiety, sadness and depression, And aggression would show noticeably less activity over time. And not only that, but their blood pressure would go down. So they began to notice that not only when we live generously do good things trigger in our brain, but there is a chemical reaction that actually makes us less stressed, less anxious, less depressed, and less angry when we live generously. And that's incredible Well, it is incredible, but like, if I want to be honest with you, like the Bible and God have been telling this for like thousands of years, we're just like in 2018, when they did this study, we just recently like discovered that biologically it's true that God has actually crafted us and created us to sacrifice for one another. And when we do not live according to the pattern in the mold in which he built us, we actually suffer This is where it's no surprise to me that there's so much anxiety and depression within our culture because as we become more selfish and less generous, our brain produces more anxiety, sadness, and aggression. Biologically, it just does. When we become more selfish and less generous, our brain produces more anxiety, more sadness, and more aggression. God literally designed us to help one another and we suffer when we live contrary to that design. So when I tell you today that God owns everything in your life, and in order to experience him unreserved, we have to live open-handed and generously with every aspect of who we are. I am not telling you that for my benefit. I am telling you that because you are crafted uniquely to live that way. Generosity is a biological weapon against anxiety, fear, and depression. I love that because God gives us the ability to do certain things to combat negative realities. He gives us the ability to forgive so that we don't become bitter. He gives us the ability to be thankful so that we don't buy into materialism. He gives us the ability to be generous so that we aren't plagued by anxiety, fear, depression, and anger. Not only is it beneficial for our mental and at times our physical health because they showed that some people had a drop in blood pressure, it's also healthy for our spiritual life. And this is shown in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's our key scripture for today. I'm gonna drink before I read it because there's a lot of verses. There we go. This is Jesus talking. He says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After... A servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw the useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this, your word. I I pray, God, that it would be these words that linger on our minds and that stick to us. Would you use your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, to transform us today? In your name we pray, amen. This passage is generally linked... Um, to a sermon where a pastor will get up and they'll preach, like look at your skills and your abilities and the things that you're good at, and then they'll give you a long list of ways that you can start serving or or volunteering on Sunday morning at church. Little, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think next week we are going to give you a list of different opportunities that are around our entire church um, for you to begin plugging in and serving in some capacity. Um, but the the problem becomes what oftentimes happens um, is that we we display it in such a way that we think that like the only skills and abilities that are useful to God are things that you can do here on Sunday morning. And so we end up putting God in a box. We love to compartmentalize God, right? Because if God is in a box, we control God. So in every aspect of our life, we try to understand God so that we can put him in a box. So we put God in a box and we put him next to our church shoes Then we wake up on Sunday morning, we get out of church shoes, we take out our God box, we go to church, we do our thing for an hour or two, we go back home, we put God in the box, we put him next to the church shoes for next week, right? And and honestly, sometimes the church sort of promotes this type of lifestyle, like this is the way we kind of want you to live, like your skills and abilities are useful as long as you can do something for me here on Sunday morning. And and listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with serving. I'm so thankful for the folks who are back in tech and the children's ministry and who are serving all throughout our church this week. I'm so, so thankful for you because you're awesome. What I'm saying is I think that Jesus was talking about something a lot bigger than just how we spend a couple of hours on Sunday morning or an evening during the week. So let's dig in to this particular passage. So as a recap, Three servants are called in to speak with their master. The master's going away on a trip. He gives different amounts of money to the different servants, but all three get some. He returns from his trip, and two of them have multiplied the money, and one of them has buried it in the ground. The two that multiplied the money get commended. The one that buried it in the ground gets condemned. So I think that there's three really important things that we can draw from this. And one of those, actually, I'm going I'm to pull from the book of Luke. And what we read was Matthew today. The book of Luke has one important caveat that isn't in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, it says that the, the servants who were blessed and multiplied would be able, who doubled the money, would be able to have more responsibility. In the book of Luke, Luke actually says what that responsibility is. And they, these servants are given the opportunity to govern cities. One five, one ten, I think, or whatever the amount is. They're given opportunities to govern cities. And I think there's three points that we can pull out of this and apply to our lives. The first one is this. God wants you to multiply, and, and not just biologically, although that's a, it's a joke. It's about, it's about S.E. crossed hockey sticks. You like that? You like that? Not just, although we're really good at, at multiplying biologically around here. There's like a lot of young married couples here, and there's like a bajillion children in our nursery, like literally like a certifiable bajillion, like they're all over the place. He wants you to multiply. (laughs) One thing this story shows is that God's kingdom is about multiplication. In some capacity, multiplication is a blessing to God and it glorifies him. How do I know that? Well, when we look at these three individuals, listen, we don't know the merits of these servants. We don't know the morals of these servants. The only thing that we know about these three guys is what they did with what they were trusted with. And the only two that are commended... Are the two servants that multiplied. The one that's condemned is the servant who did nothing with the money. And God is talking about his kingdom here. So whenever we multiply in his kingdom, the talents and abilities that he's given us, we are glorifying God by doing that. Multiplication is part of a kingdom mentality. I also love that there's three servants in the story. Because the, 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 the story is just as effective as if we have one with five and one with one, but we have this dude with two bags of money. Why include the guy with two? I mean, two of them get the same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come celebrate with your master. Well, I think Jesus is pretty clear. He gives us three because the amount of money doesn't matter. Listen, the number of talents doesn't matter. Listen, some of you guys are super talented. You're just like really good at everything. My brother was kind of like this. Like everything I would try to get good at, he would just get better at within like 48 hours. Like I would practice really hard at getting good at Halo. And then I would, I'm really good at Halo. And my brother would start playing like two matches in, he would just trounce me. He's just like a talented person. He's just really smart. He's just very talented. You might be like that type of person. You're a five talent type of person. You might be like me, kind of like a one trick pony, a one talent type of dude, right? And people kind of laugh, but I really am not very good at many things. I oftentimes tell people, the only thing I'm actually good at is communicating. And that just happens to be the Swiss army knife of ministry, which is what I do for a living, right? It just happens that I can do everything with that one, that one gift. The point is, it doesn't matter whether you're a five, a two, or a one-talent person. The, the story isn't about how much they were given. The story is about what they did with what they were given. God wants you to multiply in every aspect of your life. If he's given you a talent and a gift for making money, you glorify God when you make money. If he's blessed you with a business, you glorify God when the business grows. If you're a gifted dancer, you glorify God when you dance with excellence and when you teach and raise up others to dance with excellence. Too often, we have thought that the only way we can glorify God is by what we do here over the weekends. And so it's been sort of portrayed to us that God isn't concerned with what we do outside of Sunday morning. And not only that, there's this really nasty reality that sort of gets communicated to people that God can't use your hobbies, your gifts, your skills, and your talents if you can't put them to use at the church. If you can't find a place to plug in, then God has no use for it, which just isn't true. God has gifted you and built you uniquely in a unique mold, and he wants to see you take the ways that he's gifted you and put them to use and multiply them in his kingdom. God is glorified when you use the skills and abilities he gave you to multiply and glorify him in every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. There's one key caveat. And that is that multiplication doesn't necessarily alone alone glorify God. We all know somebody who has multiplied, who's been very prosperous, who has no intention whatsoever of glorifying God with their life. But we'll get to that a little bit on point three. The second thing I think we can pull out is that fear will keep you out of the kingdom. Fear will keep you out of the kingdom. Now, I want to be clear that fear is not keeping the third servant out of heaven. It's keeping him out of the kingdom. Jesus isn't talking about heaven or hell. He is talking about the kingdom. And Jesus said, the kingdom is here now. Which means, kingdom is anywhere where God's people are doing God's work. We can step into the kingdom every single day of our lives. We bring the kingdom in around us. It's a kingdom without borders, it's wherever God's people are. But the third servant missed out on it. Because of fear, he was not able to live into his God given potential. Because of his fear, of failure so my question is what are you afraid of what is standing between you and truly experiencing god unreserved because in my from my experience it is the most affluent of us and we are some of the most affluent people in the entire world in this room top one or two percent of affluence in the world It is the most affluent people who can grow the most comfortable and the most fearful of losing what it is that they have. And it can be fear that will keep us out of the kingdom. Fear of God is a good thing. But fear of failure can cripple us and prevent us from experiencing all God has for us. Fear of failure can cripple us and prevent us from experiencing all God has for us. Don't allow fear and the fear of the world and the fear of failure to govern your life, to control you, to manipulate you. The third thing I think we can apply to our lives is this. This is the hardest one. You don't own a thing. You honestly don't own anything. Everything is alone. You didn't have it when you showed up. You're not gonna have it when you leave. Everything that you have, your talents, your skills, your abilities, your bank account, your car, your house, your relationships, everything that you have is on loan. When we decide to submit our lives and ask Jesus to come in as Savior and Lord, we are willingly saying, God, I am putting everything that I have at your disposable, disposable, <laughs> disposal, to be led and directed by you. Now think back to the three servants. We had the two who doubled the money. They took what money their master gave them and they multiplied doubling the money, doubling the bags of silver that still belonged to their master. Now imagine the guy with five bags of silver comes walking in, his master's return from a trip and his master settles an account and he's like, master, guess what? You gave me five bags of silver and I made five more. So now I have 10 all for myself. I don't think this guy's fate is a whole lot better than the first servant who buried it in the ground because the servants knew that they should not take possession of what rightfully belonged to their master. Can I be clear? You don't own anything. It doesn't matter if you honed it, if you multiplied it, or if you've learned to excel at it, including your talents and abilities, they don't belong to you. They all belong to our master. Now, this is where the story of Luke comes in, because the story that Luke tells says that the servants who had doubled the money were given a new responsibility, a new opportunity to govern cities. So I'm going to use both sides of the stage here. So they're given the ability to look over money, and because of their faithfulness, they move from overseeing just money to overseeing the finances of cities, from money to governance, from money to military, from money to to populace. Their influence expands exponentially because of their faithfulness with the money. They're given opportunities with things that are so much bigger than money. I think God is intentional here. Jesus was intentional to show, listen, finite things you can understand, bags of money you can count. Let's talk about influence you cannot wrap your mind around. When you are faithful with these things, you will give a given responsibility over so much more that your influence might expand. Can I be honest about something? I think often we take possession of the bags of silver at the sacrifice of cities. We take possession of bags of silver over the sacrifice of cities. Let me just unpack that. We give up what God has in the future when we take possession of what belongs to God in the present. We give up what God has for us in the future when we take possession of what belongs to God in the present. Your house, family, bank account, jobs, talents, abilities, relationships belong to God. None of it belongs to us. Everything is on loan. It's all at his disposal. And when we begin getting sticky fingers with what belongs to God, he'll let us have it for a season. Guys, it's all ending the same way for each of us. None of us are taking any of it with us, right? Like, like your fate and my fate, it, it's the same at the end of this life. We're both dead, no pulse, same situation. God, if we get sticky fingers, what belongs to God now, He'll let us have it right now. But we take it at the sacrifice of future kingdom potential. I don't know about you, that's scary to me. Because I know I'm too close fisted. So let's wrap this all up. First, generosity is spiritually, emotionally, and biologically good for us. It just is. It's good to live generously. If we live generously, we will become less angry, less sad, less anxious, less stressed. When we live with open hands, it's just good for us because we were crafted and biologically oriented to live that way. That's how humanity is. We were made to sacrifice for one another and to live open-handed and to live generously. And when we don't, we suffer for it. Second, God has created you with unique skills and abilities that he wants you to multiply. He wants to see you grow. He wants to see you perform with excellence. And when we become afraid or we become selfish, we sacrifice our kingdom potential. When we bury our gifts in the ground and refuse to use them for fear of the world or for fear of failure, we sacrifice our kingdom potential. When we put our hands on what rightfully belongs to God and take it, possession, take it as a possession for our own, God may let us have it for a season, but we do it at the sacrifice of our future kingdom impact. And the third thing is this. Your gifting and abilities being used for God doesn't begin or end here on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night or Tuesday night or whenever it is that you're here. God wants to be glorified through every aspect of your life. He wants those who follow him to be fully surrendered. He wants us to put everything in his hands that we may be able to experience him completely unreserved. So, are you all in? That's the question we've been repeatedly asking throughout this year. Are you all in? And listen, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can benefit from living generously. This is called the general grace of God. It basically means general grace is I can go outside and whether I follow Jesus or I don't follow Jesus, I can look at nature and find its beauty because that's the general grace of God. The general grace of God tells us that if you live generously, whether you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior or not, you will still benefit from that generosity. Your blood pressure will likely drop. You'll be less angry, less stressed, less anxious, less depressed. That can happen for you, but you cannot Put yourself fully at the disposal of God, surrender, and see that kingdom potential in the future without first putting your faith in him, without first choosing to follow him. Each week here at New Life, we give an opportunity for you to come to Jesus for the first time, to embrace him, to say, God, I want you to come into my life. I believe in your son Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe that he did that for me. And I believe that if I accept him into my life and I begin to follow him, that it will lead to a new life and a better life. Listen, it's something as simple as a prayer we're going to put on the screen. It's nothing that's overly mystical. It's nothing magical, but it is supernatural. So we're going to put this prayer on the screen. If you want to accept Jesus into your life today, you can pray it with me. Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I need you in my life. I am asking you to come in and take over, become my Savior and my Lord. And listen, salvation is as simple as saying that prayer and believing it in your heart, but being a follower of Jesus is not easy. It's not easy, but it's better. And you can make that commitment today. You can open your hands and you can live fully generously at the direction of God through the power of his Holy Spirit. And you can experience not just what it is to oversee talents, to oversee bags of silver, but to see what it is to oversee the influence of cities, to see what God will take and magnify when we work hard to multiply what belongs to him, when we don't take possession of it, but we allow him to multiply and change it, when we allow him to take every aspect of our lives, when we truly begin experiencing him Unreserved. And if you're ready for that, we have a next step that we're going to put up on the screen. It's what we're going to seek to do this week. I will offer God the full use of my talents this week, whatever that is. And that may be inside of church this week. That may be inside of a small group. That might be a youth group. That might be with children's ministry. You're using your full talents. But it also might be at work or in a hobby or in some other relationship that you can look and search for ways that you can glorify God through whatever it is that you do. God made you and he has a purpose for you. You may be a 10 talent type of person or you may be a one talent type like me. But I will tell you from experience, no matter how many talents you have, when you put them in the hands of God and when you live open-handed, he will take it and he'll multiply it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you I thank you that you are a good God. And that even when I have lived closed fisted and selfishly, that you've given me new opportunities, that you've shown me grace and love. I pray for those of us in this room that this is just hard. It's just hard. We don't want to be told that we don't own anything. We don't want to be told that everything we have belongs to somebody else. We don't want to be told that someone else gets to decide to tell us what to do with our stuff or our gifts or whatever it is. We want to be the master of the ship. Help us, Father, the power of your spirit to surrender to you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.